are listening to Women's Word on CFRC 101.9 FM. I am Maliha and I am a graduate student over here at Queen's. Our guest today is Craig Frame, who is the Communications and Community Engagement Officer of Horizons of Friendship. Now, Horizons of Friendship is holding a special event next week and it involves uh, three guest speakers and Craig, I, I want you to describe first of all what Horizons of Friendship does in general and then we'll get into your event that's going to be held in Kingston with three speakers talking about sweatshop labor among women in Central America and Mexico. Sure. So Horizons of Friendship is a nonprofit organization committed to promoting social justice and people-centered development in Central America and Mexico. So in, in a sense, in Mesoamerica, what we do is we partner with local organizations to support grassroots programs in human development and promoting human rights and citizen engagement. We also have a program here in Canada where we foster solidarity with peoples in, in that part of the world by building connections and raising awareness about um, human development and international cooperation. And that's what this event next week is about, to, to foster that solidarity and mutual understanding. Okay, and can you just uh, give us a brief outline of the event? We'll go into it in more detail, but just uh, so that people can mark their calendars. Uh, it's in Kingston. Sure, it's at the Kingston Frontenac Public Library. Yeah. It's 130 Johnson Street, downtown. On June 26th from 7 to 9 p.m. in the Wilson Room at the library. And we have, we're fortunate to have three guest speakers from, from Central America. So they'll be giving uh, kind of a, an overview of their work and why it's important and also a panel. And the audience, um, the attendees will have a chance to ask questions and um, there'll be a, a detailed question and answer session as part of that. So the speakers themselves represent women, particularly women workers in the tequila sector, the garment sector of El Salvador and Nicaragua, as well as the domestic household sectors. Um, and the informal sector, so these are um, kind of low-wage um, sectors which employ predominantly women, so that's why there's the emphasis on, on feminism and the gender emphasis as well. Um, and what we do with them is support kind of grassroots projects to allow their voices, um, allow the workers' voices to be, to be heard within their country through public awareness, um, sometimes legislative change, um, leadership training, citizen engagement. So they'll talk about about that work they do and why it's very important for Canadians, for us as a public, to um, be aware and be engaged in that because it is um, Canadian organizations who are allowing that to take place. I think there's more public awareness now of the need to be cognizant of the working conditions in other countries uh, since that horrible Bangladesh disaster. You know, it's all very well for us to buy $5 t-shirts, but People pay with their lives sometimes for our cheap consumer goods, don't they? Exactly, and so this is in April where over a thousand workers in a Bangladesh garment factory uh, lost their lives. And there was subsequent kind of protests and unrest after that, and it kind of brought the issue to international, um, kind of brought international attention to the, to the topic. Um, also, about two weeks ago, thousands of Cambodian garment workers went on strike, and 300 of them who worked in a Nike um, supplier sweatshop got fired immediately for voicing oh. their concerns over labor rights and their wages. Um, 
Canadian citizens are directly impacted and involved in this. Um, and of course, geographically, it is much closer to home. Um, and since NAFTA, right after NAFTA, you saw kind of a ballooning of the number of people and the number of factories um, using this type, type of labor. Um, and I think, especially given what's going on in the global economy right now, we have to start making these connections between the failure, basically the failure of globalization um, and what's happening here, whether it's in Canada or other G8 nations, with um, underemployment, um, stagnating economies, and this massive offshoring that's been taking place basically in the last two to three decades. And I think now is the time to, to have this discussion um, and to analyze it and do something about it, most importantly. Um, and what we're doing next week, and I think the key part of this process is hearing these voices, so hearing the situation from the people themselves who are affected by it before um, we make our decisions and before we voice our opinions, I think that's a very important first step. And this event next week is designed so people can, um, can get that perspective directly from workers. Yeah, it's a fundamental thing to consult the stakeholders, which are the workers themselves. Now, my colleague um, has a couple of questions because she's been reading some background on the um, on the workers who will be at the event. Okay. So. Um, oh yeah. Um, first of all, uh, before I go into uh, talking about the workers, I was wondering what your opinion is on um, what should we do from the consumer side, um, say as Canadians and Americans, after we are made aware of you know these horrific conditions. Um, in these factories that these women are working with. Uh, do you have any opinion on what people can do from this end to sort of, um, you know, support, support the, workers. the workers or come up with a solution? Well, um, I do. I do. I think that what I'll say first, though, is it's best to ask these three who are coming next week because exactly. they'll be the ones who know best. And I think there's been a lot of kind of emphasis on things like boycott um, and kind of smart consumerism. Um, but this question was asked yesterday during one of these events um, here in Colberg, Ontario, and the answer, if I can summarize it, um, that one of the women gave was, well, supporting the workers themselves and allowing them to, to change their own conditions. Um, and that's the focus of, of the work they're doing, um, because when we get into things like brand boycotts and um, things like that, um, the supply chains are very complicated and tracing it back all through the different stakeholders can get infinitely complex. Um, and also these are their jobs, their livelihoods, so boycotting um, a product may actually do more harm than good in some cases. Um, so I think, to get back to your question, what people can do is, first of all, listen to, to those who are most affected and I think these women who are coming are three examples of people and programs that are in place that are making a change. Um, and I think that's, that's where to start. So putting kind of resources and mobilizing that process so these women and these workers can drive change within their, within their own countries or within the context they're working in as opposed to us driving driving the change. I think there's a role for us to play here, but um, it's maybe quite different than, than that of the workers themselves. Um, can you tell us 
a little bit more about each of the workers as well as the grassroots organizations that they are working for. Right. So there's three of them, as I mentioned. Um, I'll just go through them one by one. One is um, Marta Zaldania. She's the Secretary General of the Federation of Independent Associations and Unions of El Salvador. Um, FEAC uses the, the acronym. So what they are is an association that bring, and they bring together um, different working unions, trade unions, in El Salvador to advocate for rights, um, in particular gender equality as well. Um, and she began as a young woman, I believe in a maquila, making $11.40 a month. And she has since been an advocate for the ongoing struggle against workplace discrimination and repression in her country. Um, and in many of these countries, El Salvador included, it's this work um, going on strike and advocating for some of these things, is, it can be very dangerous work. Um, and there is still systematic kind of repression of, of this type of organizing. So I think it's very important to keep that in mind. Um, they are working in that context. Um, El Salvador, for example, is a, is a violent country, um, particularly given the influence of the drug wars and drug trafficking. Um, El Salvador and Honduras both have Great places consistently for the highest homicide rate in the world, or the most violent place in the world outside of a war zone. Um, so I think that's important to keep in mind as well. Um, another organization is the Mary Elena Quadra Working and Unemployed Women's Movement, and one of their members, Vilma Venegas, who's a volunteer and advocate for them, will be coming. Um, and she has been working um, in the Mkila sector since about 1994, and that was the time, kind of after the after the conflict, when borders were opened and and trade was opened as a way to grow the economy, and these Mkilas were put forward as one as one way to do that, and she became involved um, in the feminist movement to confront problems facing women and workers after she after she saw and she experienced firsthand. Um, the very harsh kind of conditions and, and the problems with that. Um, and lastly, Marisa, sorry, Marisa Lumansor. She's a social activist with the uh, Melida Ayana Montes Women's Movement of El Salvador. Um, and similarly, she's organizing workers um, in the maquilas as well as the domestic sector. And there's over 110,000 women who work in the domestic sector in El Salvador making as little as 40 or $60 a month, um, basically working at all hours of the day. So those are the three organizations and women who are coming, and I think they bring a very um, interesting and also diverse perspective from each one of them. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what they've done so far? Have they been protesting in El Salvador or you know, petitioning the government? What exactly have they been doing? So that's 
of this project and this association. Um, another example in Nicaragua um, last year with support from Horizons of Friendship and its different international organizations, uh, there was a comprehensive law against violence against women passed in the parliament. So that's, a, that's national legislation um, which changes the whole, the whole framework in the country, um, which included provisions against workplace discrimination and workplace violence, which, which affects many of these workers. Um, so that was a landmark achievement for, for the association, for the, for the country as a whole, particularly the women's movement and, and women of the country as a whole. So these are some examples, and I think it is important to, to focus on the issues and the ongoing problems, but also acknowledge that there are um, very important steps taking place and there has been progress, and um, particularly in some of these countries, it's more progressive than you might think um, in terms of the um, kind of the, the government's willingness to to make change. But they have to be pushed by by those most affected, um, as always is the case. Um, so there are definitely ongoing challenges and concerns, but From the points of view of the women, because you've been hearing them speak already at um, events, uh, say in Coburg, you just mentioned, um, what would be their priorities? Uh, for instance, in Bangladesh, we saw terribly unsafe working conditions due to shoddy factory buildings and so forth. Um, are these workers from Central America more interested in hourly wages or, say, uh, facilities for childcare and um, you know, anti-harassment legislation, that sort of thing. What, what tend to be their priorities with respect to their uh, work environment? Right. Um, I think that question I can't answer on their behalf. I think you'd have to ask them directly because mm -hmm. um, they um, they only they only can answer that. I think with respect to the Bangladesh question, one of them said, "Well, what we do is prevent that kind of thing from happening." Um, so they. You know, they saw that and, and said, well, exactly, that's what we're doing, so that doesn't happen, um, which is very well could happen in, in El Salvador. Um, I don't, this is my perspective here, I don't see it necessarily as one priority versus the other. It's more acknowledging the rights of these people or the rights of the woman, um, which includes the right to a living wage, the right to fair working conditions, the right to just basic basic dignity. Um, so I don't see it as, I see it as integral. Um, all of these things have to be addressed. It's not one or the other. Um, wages, obviously, may be the most evident and it's the most striking and you can put a, a kind of concrete figure onto it, but also just the human dignity and basic respect that, that human beings deserve. Um, and most often, the route that, that they've gone, that I've seen basically in these projects, is legislative change, because that's the way to, to immediately kind of encode, encode these rights. Um, have they had much luck with enforcement, though? Even in Canada, when we have regulations, we see corporations trying to get around the regulations. Yeah, well, I think in the example of the Violence Against Women law, one of the advocates came here last November to raise awareness around it. And she says, well, that was the first 
Sure, of course, that the government and police will enforce this legislation. That's the other side of the coin, I guess. about, um, oh, yeah. you know, your organization, obviously, you can't do everything from up here. You partner with organizations in Central America, yeah, right? Yeah, so uh, we were wondering what other grassroots organizations you're working with, um, besides the ones you've already mentioned. should give your website because I do notice on your website it says over the past 40 years Horizons of Friendship has implemented over 1,300 projects with over 130 partner organizations. it's very gratifying to know that an organization such as yours even continues to exist in the present climate that we have, frankly. <laughs> right, that's an interesting comment. Um, and I think getting back to um, this, this tour we're doing with these guest speakers, yeah. I think a key thing is to put this in the context of what's going on in international development and 
which are increasingly focused on trade, um, private sector involvement, yeah. um, and lots of an emphasis on this kind of human human development aspect. And I think it's important that we critique and reflect on what that means. And this type of work um, is, um, to state it kind of bluntly, is under threat. And I think uh, Canadian citizens are the only ones who can define and, and mobilize and press for the type of programming and type of um, international development funding we want to see. Um, because if, if they don't do that, then this type of kind of human-driven um, human development kind of social change um, will go by the wayside. Although I guess thinking from the government's point of view, uh, there is a possible win for the government in that they do have free trade agreements you know, with these countries and one would hope that Canada would want to have um, ethical business partners and business partners that respect human rights and basic um, standards for working conditions and wages, you know, one would hope. Um, I'm um, sure that's not necessarily the case, but... <laughs> I mean, we have NAFTA and... Yeah. Um, we've seen what's happened to, to Mexico in the past 20 to 30 years. Yes. NAFTA and um, El Salvador, another country where Canada is either in negotiation or has a current free trade agreement, these women make 78 cents per hour. Oh. Um, and that's the minimum wage, that's legislation. minimum wage by law and so on, but that's far below um, a dignified wage, that's far below the cost of living. Just so we have an idea, what is the, what would be the living wage in, say, El Salvador or Nicaragua? Um, well, a basic food basket is $360 a month. Wow. Um, oh, wow. And the living, kind of a living uh, wage estimate is $500 a month, and that's very, that's the basic, the very minimum. How on earth are they able to survive, basically? Well, it's, it's a, I think the, the key here is it's a very, a very tough existence, and um, I think we have to acknowledge that it is um, tragic in a lot of cases, and something has to be done about it. Um, the, the speaker yesterday actually used the term slavery, so she said semi-slavery. And the jaws dropped of everyone in the room. Well, well it is true. I mean, they use that term, but we have to kind of consider that that's, that's a legitimate term to use. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, in, in economics, what you call things like slave labor is negative externality, right? Basically, it's a cost that we're not paying for, yeah? If we buy a t shirt for $5 here, somebody has contributed their labor almost for free to the t-shirt, and we need to recognize that. Um, so I think it's a great idea that you are bringing these uh, stakeholders as what they are here so that they can uh, convey their ideas for remedying the situation and what people can do, because as you said, just you know, a brand boycott or something, you might be you know, killing a mosquito with a sledgehammer there and doing a lot of collateral damage, right? right. Right. Um, because what's been happening is 
Exactly, and we're not immune to uh, problems like that in Canada. Or no, I mean, you know? Canada and the U.S. are facing deindustrialization as well, so... Yeah, um, and our minimum wage that would be necessary for a dignified life is actually quite a bit higher because of the higher cost of living here, right. the climate, etc. It's also you know, below, you know, minimum wage here also doesn't cover your, your basic costs well, for exactly. the average person, so... Yeah. But what I'd like to see, too, apart from, you know, universal minimum wages, universal rights with respect to a safe environment and, uh, for instance, is a, even factories where they're breathing in toxic substances and exposed toxic substances. And, of course, in Bangladesh, you have got the conditions of the buildings and the length of the working hours, etc. you know. Um, it's all very well having free trade agreements, but unless you mandate the conditions under which people are allowed to work, um, you know, it's it's going to end in, in the sort of situations we have been seeing. But we're coming to the end of um, our program now. I'm just wondering, um, would you like to just promote again the, the event that's happening next week? And um, that's going to be on, on June the 26th, right? Well, we're certainly going to publicize it on campus. What I'm going to do is we will um, print out some of your flyers and we'll put it up in the radio station and a couple of other places where um, the students congregate, you know? Um, so is there anything uh, finally that you would like to say about uh, your organization or the event in, in general? That is excellent, and I would really like to thank you for your time, thank and you. um, we hope to see you next Wednesday, Craig. Okay, okay. see you there. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Women's Word on Queen's Radio, CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston.